Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. I'm going to ask a very simple question, and I want you to ponder it our whole time of me talking, so that way you don't even have to listen to me. I just want you to ponder this. If you want to listen, that's great. But I want you to ponder this question. How has God worked in your life? Can you see him working? Some of you can look and say, I saw, I can look back and I can see he did this and he did this and he did this. Some of you can say, yeah, if God's into train wrecks, then yeah, he's done all kinds of things, right? And some of us feel that way, right? And so you, you can't always figure out what's going on. And, and the message of Ruth is, is, you know, I'm sort of playing my whole card right up front. And that is to say, God is working in the mundane, in the things that look normal and ordinary and boring and unimportant. And may I just say to you right up front, he's more in the boring and the unimportant than he is in any of the Mount Sinai things that you can think of in your own life. Although he's at Mount Sinai too, kind of everywhere. But that's the thing. We expect him at Mount Sinai or the Mount of Transfiguration or in Mount Calvary or on the Garden of Gethsemane. We expect him in all those high places, so to speak. But don't let them become high places in the sense of the Old Testament, which is places where we take matters into our own hands. We try to make God in our own image. I want you to see God real, in the real, in the day-to-day, in the mundane, boring stuff on Tuesday at 11.34 a.m. I want you to see him working, and I want you to know that he is even when you can't. And that's why we're journeying with Ruth. And because, because there's, it's one of the smallest books in the Bible, it's four chapters. And you know, what's ironic is, you know, this is the last day of the Christmas season. And then we transition into Epiphany, which if you're familiar with the church year, Epiphany is this season of like, oh wow, it's like, it's like when people started to become aware and they were receiving these, these, these visitors and they were like, there's something going on here. God's doing something, right? You, you, we would normally read stories of Jesus being brought to the temple and the prophetess Anna and Simeon are there and all these things and that's great. But what about, what about it? Can we see when the Lord's being brought into our lives right now? Are we looking like Simeon was looking? Are we waiting like Anna was waiting? And the answer, I know if, I were to, if you were to ask me, I'm like, I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out how to get through the next week. I got all this list of tasks and all these things to do. And I bet you could give similar answers. So let's dive in. Ruth chapter one, verse one. And we're gonna put these on the screen and I wanna zoom in on some key words. In the days when the judges ruled, and we mentioned earlier, that's like saying in the days when it was pretty rough. <laughs> Now, it specifically puts it in the time frame. There's no king. There's no king in the land of Judah. There's no king amongst the people of Israel. And all the countries around them had kings and armies and all the things that were going on. And there was this country called Moab, which was pretty, pretty interested in the destruction of the people of Israel. And there was, there was the Amalekites, and they were there too, and the Philistines, and all these different people were around the area, and they were not fans of the people living in Bethlehem. And so look at what happened. In the middle of all of that, and if you want to learn more, read the book of Judges. It's one of those like, whoa, this is a really happy thing. There was a famine in the land. So immediately our characters, our, our friends here in the story, are thrust into crisis and a man who I'm calling Eli Melek, because if you were to say, if you were to say, 
my God is my king, you would say Eli Melech. Now we would read that and go, that's Elimelech. That's how you'd pronounce it. Yeah, but his name was my God is my king. You might even remember Eli from when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, labak sabathane, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. And this Eli is that same language. It's that same word, my God. But here, his name is my God is my king, Eli Melech. He's from Bethlehem, right? We all know that town, right? That's the town where Jesus was born. But here we're in the prequel. We're many generations, 14, well, no, 28 generations before that. And so where we're at is we're in Bethlehem. Bethlehem also is an interesting word. It's Bethlehem, which means house, excuse me, I'm switching between Hebrew and English too much, house of bread, right? So it's ironic that you would have a famine in a town where it's the house of bread, right? You're like, yeah, in Judah. The reason I have to say in Judah, because in those days there was actually two Bethlehems, but this was the one in Judah, the one where Jesus was born later, the one where David would be born later, and we find out why, because this is his family's town. And Eli Melech was there with Naomi, who we introduced as the one named Pleasant. And you know, it's interesting, it's a beautiful name, and I've, I've known some Naomi's in my life. My, my great-grandmother was named Naomi, and she was a person who was greatly hurt by the church. Great, she, was, she was ostracized and kicked out of church because her behavior wasn't good enough for them. And it's kind of like, hmm, her name was supposed to mean pleasant too, but she got to experience bitterness. And so, so when, when you hear this story of Elimelech, Eli Melech and Naomi, and they're there, and they had two sons, and they had a, a drought, they had a famine, and they went to the country of Moab. Guys, Moab, I mean, like, considering today's headlines, that would be like saying they went to live in Iran. I mean, I hope you understand what I mean by that. They went to live in a place where no one wanted them to come, and no one would welcome them, and everyone would probably do a variety of things to make their life terrible if they allowed them to live there at all, at best. And so they, you're like, how bad is it when your only option is to go to a country where everyone is probably bent against you? That's bad options, and that's the situation. Things were very bad. And I'm just curious. Remember my question? I said, you don't even have to listen to me today. Is to ponder, have things ever been like this for you? Are they like this now? If they're not, they might be soon. You know, it's just like, this is the world we live in. And you're like, Mark, I thought we were supposed to come to church and tell us about Jesus loves us. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you that. But the thing is, the Bible never pulls any punches on this reality. The Bible isn't like those guys who will come out and say, everything is great. No, it isn't. Everything is bad. But God is in the midst of it. God is in the midst of it. He is in the midst of it. And that means if he's in the midst of it here, I want you to know He's in the midst of it there. Please hear that. He is. Take a look at Ruth 1, verses 3 to 4. We just got to kind of continue to flesh out the story a little bit. Now, Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died. Oh, wow. Things just got worse. So her heart is broken. Her life, her soulmate is gone. She's in a foreign land. She now has no man. And in their culture, that didn't work for women. I mean, you got nothing now. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, which if you go back and read, you know, the first five books of the Bible, there wasn't an explicit prohibition about Moabite women, but there was a general idea in marrying other cultures 
not a great plan, according to God's word. And so Naomi would have known this, her sons would have known this, but there's not a lot of choice. At some point, you gotta like move on with life, right? And one was named Orpah, the other named Ruth, and after they lived there about 10 years, both Mahalan and Kilion, her two sons, they died. And now, now, from a cultural standpoint, she had nothing. She had no anchors of any kind. She was up a creek without a paddle, they might say. Things got much worse. So not only the emotional sadness and the brokenness, you see why Naomi would say then, look at verse six. So she, she did hear good news that in Moab, when she was there, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people in Judah. And so by providing food for them, she was like, okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna go home. We're gonna go there. But what's interesting is in the process of going there, she goes to her daughters-in-law and says, okay, I'm gonna go. And it was common culture that if someone was gonna leave like that, you would walk with them. Because it wasn't like you go down to the bus station or the airport or the train station or hop in the SUV and you're just gone. There was like a period of leaving, like you had to walk. And this journey was at least 100 miles, maybe a little longer, depending on where they were at. And so this is gonna take her a long time to get there. So they would walk maybe even for a day or two to go with her, to see her off. And she's like in the midst of that saying, actually, it's time for you guys to go back. Take a look at verse 16. Naomi says, you guys go home. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She was a Moabite. She didn't have any upbringing with Naomi's culture or her faith. But she loved Naomi. She clung to her. Have you ever had people in your life that are not from your kin, right? They're not from where you're at. Or they're, they're, they're outside of your normal life and somehow you got connected through strange circumstances that you don't even understand and yet you know God worked through them. You realize this person is, we're supposed to be connected. And here Ruth is like saying to her mother-in-law, I'm, gonna, I'm basically, wherever you're gonna die, that's where I'm gonna die. Wherever you're buried, I'm gonna be buried next to you. This is like kind of a strong commitment, just so we're all clear. And so what's going on with this is that Ruth and Naomi were connected forever through circumstances that neither of them would have considered good. Has this happened to you? Have you experienced circumstances that you would have never expected, that you would have never thought were good? But yet, as we've proclaimed through this discussion, God was working. He's in the midst of it. He was in the midst of this story. He's in the midst of these stories. Take a look at verses 20 to 21. She gets home, and she lets her honest feelings come out. And I've actually had people tell me, you shouldn't focus on this. And I, I completely disagree. God saw fit by his Holy Spirit to have the author of Ruth write this in here. And he wrote it in here, or she wrote it, whoever wrote it, wrote it in here for us to read. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Do you ever have that emotion in your life? where you go away full <laughs> and you come back empty. Something happens and it just bends you to the ground. 
Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one, like what Naomi experienced. She lost her husband and her sons. Her whole family, other than her daughters-in-law, were gone. She had no status or standing in her culture. She had nothing. She had no, no, no foundation left. It was gone. Everything had been taken from her. And she was saying, she was saying to them what we all would, would feel if we were in her shoes. Look at what she says. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The mistake is thinking that if you're with God, everything's gonna be great. That's, that's a mistake to think that. The truth is, if you're with God, he's gonna be with you. And that is much better than everything being great. That's much better. Because then you are with him in a broken world, somehow working together through all of these circumstances which we can never understand. And he is doing what he is doing to bring hope. Look at what happens next. Matthew chapter one, verses five and six. Naomi didn't know everything. She couldn't have known what this is. She couldn't have known. Look at what this is. Here it is from the genealogy. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who, guess what? Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, is getting close. She hasn't met yet, but in the next chapter, they're gonna meet because it's barley season, right? It's the first night of the barley festival. And so, you know, Boaz is a farmer and he's working with the wheat. And so now... What we also need to look at is the fact that who is Boaz? Well, he is the son of Rahab. Do you guys know Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. You're like, wait a minute. God doesn't work through prostitutes. And may I just say to you, the word of God says otherwise. He works through everybody. And he saw fit to include this prostitute Rahab in his genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not an accident. This is not like a, whoops, we were supposed to edit that out. We're supposed to focus on it. We're supposed to catch it because guess what? All the dudes in the genealogy are dudes. And every once in a while, there's a lady mentioned. Two of them right here. We're supposed to know about these ladies because, see, this, you know, contrary to our, our current culture, which just says the Bible's ancient patriarchal misogynistic piece of literature, it's actually the word of God that brings life to all people, men and women, and does make them completely equal in the eyes of God and empower them in every way appropriately, but it also does not say silly things like there's no difference between men and women. It, I mean, we all know better, but at the same time, my wife will explain that if you don't know. And so, and so there are differences and yet gives us restoration in the midst of all of that. See, this is so beautiful. And so Rahab gets mentioned. She's the prostitute who covered for the spies who were in there looking, for the, looking at the land of Canaan and she helped them escape. And then her son is Boaz, who grows up, which we're gonna learn more about Boaz next week. I don't wanna spoil all the thunder. Some of you are like, Mark, I've like read Ruth 20 times, but that's okay. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, who I'm betting you heard about a little bit during the Advent season, if you did any Advent studies or services, you know, the root of Jesse is King David, of course. The root of Jesse is Jesus because Jesus is the descendant. He is the one who was to come. Naomi didn't know everything. 
When she was going through these experiences, she couldn't possibly understand that all of these things were happening and, and, and that through them and in them and amidst them, God would work to bring about the salvation of the universe. And see, I have had people talk to me like, Mark, you can't think in terms that God Almighty would arrange the universe for us. And yet I read the Bible and I see otherwise. And I want you guys to believe that God is working in your life right now, despite what it may look like. You may be feeling exactly like Naomi and say, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, because I am afflicted. God has seen fit to destroy my life. You may feel that, or you may feel like, well, I'm not quite that bad, but, or wherever. You may be on the mountaintop right now, starting a new life and being like, mm, you know, this is awesome. God has blessed me without measure. But no matter where you're at, it is so important to know that we don't know everything. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know why he's doing it. And we can't probably know. Naomi had no idea all of this would happen. Maybe, maybe the Lord came to her and we just don't know about it. Didn't get recorded. That's fine. But generally speaking, we don't get, like angels don't visit us like they did Joseph. And be like, hey, let me, let me explain. Every once in a while, it has to happen. Take a look at verses 20 and 21 where the angel says, Joseph, don't, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. We, I, you know, it's like, you wonder if the angel's like, yeah, I get it. People don't get pregnant that way. This one did. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Christmas and Epiphany are all about the fact that God Almighty is incarnate. He became a human, and he walked on this earth on the very dirt that you and I walk on. I know, I know we haven't, we're, not, we're not on the same continent right now, but it's the very dirt. It's the very dirt, and it's the very situations that you and I experience. He was in them and continues to be. And so as you start your 2020, and as you move forward in life and all the things that happens, and as you look at all the circumstances and you wonder why, how, God, could you allow this to happen? I don't have the answer, but I want you to trust him that he is working to do what he has done here, which is to save his people from their sins. And remember what we said about sin. Sin isn't just like the stuff that you do or the stuff that you fail to do. It's the brokenness in the whole world that leads to the death of humanity. He has brought hope through the resurrection from the dead. Can we pray about that? Let's pray. Father, I ask you boldly to be with all of us in this room and to help us look at our lives trusting that you have a plan, even though we may never know what that is. I, I know we will sometimes get glimpses. You'll give us little hints to, to reassure us and to restore us along the way, and we pray that you would continue to do that. But if there are people here that don't have those answers, that do not understand, that you would give them hope in the midst of crisis that you would give me hope and all of us hope no matter what our circumstances are that you would give the people in our lives hope and that you'd help us recognize them and see them and and come alongside them even as you come alongside us and to take what we've been given and share it we pray this through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.